welcome to this episode of Want to Hear Something Interesting, a podcast where your hosts Scott Ahern and Chad Knight discuss a topic using research and personal opinion. The topics will be wide and varied, but approached with the researcher's eye. Will everything we say be 100% accurate? Probably not, but we are striving to be as accurate as we can be. Every month on the 1st, a new topic will come your way. Occasionally, though not usually, there may be some language of the adult variety. Listener, be warned. Now, here are your hosts, Scott and Chad. Good evening, and welcome to Want to Hear Something Interesting? Episode 12. So what can we say about time that hasn't been said? There are no secrets that time does not reveal. Gene Racine. Learn to enjoy every minute of your life. Be happy now. Don't wait for something outside of yourself to make you happy in the future. Think how really precious is the time you have to spend, whether it's at work or with your family. Every minute should be enjoyed and savored. Earl Nightingale. Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to just try one more time. Thomas A. Edison. And know that I am with you always. Yes, to the end of time. Jesus Christ. The two most powerful warriors are patience and time. Leo Tolstoy. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. Steve Jobs. We didn't lose the game. We just ran out of time. Vince Lombardi. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Former President Barack Obama. So what do all these quotes have in common? Time. And how do we track time? Scott? I'm going to go with calendars. Exactly. And we are going to talk about calendars in this, our first podcast of the new year. Let me start by saying, Happy New Year, Scott. Happy New Year, Chad. And of course, Happy New Year to all our listeners. With that, should we just jump into this? Sure. All right. So So I'm going to start to talk at a high level about eight different calendars. You know, throughout history. Then Scott will talk about the big ones. And then we'll hopefully pull this all together as we leave you. But before we get to all that, how you been, man? Not too bad. Yourself? Can't complain. You know, end of the year, New Year starting. Mm-hmm. What can we say? It's, uh, obviously, we're recording this a few days before the New Year because I'm not that good. I can't record and edit and get everything out by you know 6 a.m. on uh, New Year's Day. So Really? 6 a.m.? Interesting you should say that. And why is that? Because as I was doing my research for this, I found something rather interesting. Now, the traditional Western calendar sets midnight as the start of the new day. Correct. The Jewish calendar... All of their festivals and holy days start at sunset. Many of the other religious calendars around the world start the day at sunrise. So it seems that the Western calendar is the only one that has this arbitrary time measurement, whereas all the other ones are still synced to the traditional roots of the calendar, which was the diurnal rhythm and the seasons. Mm-hmm. That's, that's actually very interesting. That is not something that I came across in, in mind, but let's jump into this. So, I kind of normally do a timeline. Yes, you do. But in this case, I 
didn't really find a good way to do a timeline with talking about calendars. So what I did more was I kind of lined up the calendars in a processional sort of uh, way of doing it. So I'm going to start with the Bronze Age. Okay. And I'm going to work myself all the way forward to about 1990. Okay. Now, I'm only going to touch on about eight calendars in that amount of time. I'm not going to go through all of them. The first thing I did, I did a uh, search on um, calendars, you know, uh, different calendars or something like that. And I came to a website that had like 83 of them. (laughs) And I mean, from all over the world. And I tried to take place, you know, take calendars from different parts of the world and everything. But the one thing you will find is that a lot of calendars, like you said, are set to either the, the seasons or, you know, the stars or something to that effect. There's something that's, well in human terms, permanent. Because we all know that the the sky shifts over time, but in our lifetime, it's going to move a couple degrees, maybe. Right. So it's very solid for a person's lifetime. But let's kick off here with one of my favorite cultures, and that's the Egyptian culture. The Egyptian calendar was a solar calendar with a 365-day year. Sounds familiar. Yes. The year consisted of three seasons of 120 days each plus an interclary month of five epigonominal days treated as outside of the year proper. Each season was divided into four months of 30 days. These 12 months were initially numbered within each season, but came to also be known by the names of their principal festivals. Each month was divided into three 10-day periods known as decans or decades. It has been suggested that during the 19th dynasty and the 20th dynasty, the last two days of each decan were usually treated as a kind of a weekend for the royal craftsmen, with royal artisans free from work. So, where the Americans thought we invented the weekend, it actually sounds like maybe the Egyptians did. Could be. So, current knowledge of the earliest development of the Egyptian calendar remains speculative. A tablet from the reign of the first dynasty pharaoh, de Jure circa 3000 BC, was once thought to indicate that the Egyptians had already established a link between the helical rising of Sirius and the beginning of their year. But more recent analysis has questioned whether the tablet's picture refers to Sirius at all. Similarly, based on the Palermo stone, Schraff proposed that the Old Kingdom observed a 320-day year, but his theory has not become widely accepted. Some evidence suggests that early civil calendars had 360 days. Although it might be merely reflect the unusual status of the five epignogamal days as days added on to the proper year. With its interior effectively rainless for thousands of years, ancient Egypt was a gift of the river Nile, whose annual flooding organized the year into three broad seasons, known to the Egyptians as Flood, or Akhet, Emergence, or Peret, and I'm probably mispronouncing these because I don't speak Egyptian, but, and low water or harvest, Shomu. The first lasted from roughly June to September, the second from roughly October to January, and the last from roughly February to May. As early as the reign of Dejure, yearly records were being kept of the flood's high water mark. Uh, Nugenbauer noted that a 365-day year can be established by averaging a few decades of accurate observations of the Nile flood without any need for astronomical observations. Although the great irregularity of the flood from year to year and the difficulty of maintaining a sufficiently accurate nilometer and record in prehistoric Egypt has caused other scholars to doubt that it formed the basis for the Egyptian calendar. 
It's a lot of info. Yes, and it's interesting because you mentioned a couple of things in there about the 360 days, the 365 days, and the... 320. Uh, yes, and what I was pronouncing as nilometers, which I ran across an article that talked about how in the time of Julius Caesar, the Egyptians were still using this calendar, and Caesar liked it so much that he blended it into the Roman calendar because he had discovered through military application that the Roman calendar was shot. And I remember in research I was doing for something else that there was a reference to the division between the 360 and the 365, and that it tied back into the Egyptian mythology about how Ra had foretelling or prophecy or whatever that if the sky goddess had a son, it would be problematic for Ra, kind of like the whole Greek mythology about Achilles. And so he forbade her to give birth during the days of the year. And okay. so apparently she gambled with the moon god, who was also the god of time, and won enough time from him to create five days. Okay. And during those five days, she gave birth to Osiris, Horus, Isis, Set, and Nephthys. Okay, so the pretty well-established gods. Right. And I also found a reference that the Egyptians had also figured out that 365 days didn't quite work. And so every four years... They threw in another day to make everything sync back up again. Yeah. Which, of course, we still do today as a... Leap year day. Exactly. Or a leap day. Mm -hmm. Now, with the Roman calendar in the time of Caesar, so we're talking 1st century BC, mm -hmm. the Roman calendar was only 354 days long because it was a lunar calendar, so it followed the cycle of the moon. Okay. All right. So, let's move on to the second one I came across, and this is the Pentacontad calendar. Again, this is in the Bronze Age, and this calendar is an agricultural calendar system thought to be of Amorite origin, in which the year is broken down into seven periods of 50 days, so a total of 350 days, with an annual supplement of 15 or 16 days, identified and reconstructed by Hillegard and Julius Louis in the 1940s. The calendar's use dates back to at least the 3rd millennium BCE in western Mesopotamia and surrounding areas. Used well into the modern age, forms of it have been found in Nestorianism and among the Fellahin of modern Palestine. In Akkadian, the Pentecostal calendar was known as Hamsatum, and the period of 15 days at the end of the year was known to Babylonians as Shepatum. Each 50-day period was made up of seven weeks of seven days and seven Sabbaths, with an extra 50th day known as the Atzeret. Used extensively by the various Canaanite tribes of Palestine, the calendar was also thought to have been used by the Israelites until the official adoption of a new type of solar calendar system by King Solomon. The liturgical calendar of the Essenens of Quorum was a Pentacontad calendar, marked by festivals on the last day of each 50-day period, such as the Feast of New Wine, the Feast of Oil, and the Feast of the New Wheat. Philo expressly connected the unequaled virtues of the Pentacontad calendar with the Pythagorean theorem, 
Further describing the number 50 as the perfect expression of the right angled triangle, the supreme principle of production in the world, and the holiest of numbers. Kind of sounds like the number 42, doesn't it? A little bit. <laughs> and if you think about it, what defines a right angle triangle is a 90. 90. Degree. Yeah, yeah. So, Tafik Kanan <laughs> described the use of such a calendar among Palestinians in southern Palestine. And did his contemporary, Gustav Dahlman, who wrote of the practices of Muslim agriculturalists who used Christian designations for the 50th day, which in turn overlaid far more ancient agricultural practices, grape watching, grape pressing, sowing, and etc. Julius Morgenstein argued that the calendar of the Jubilees has ancient origins as a somewhat modified survival of the Pentecontad calendar. So this one... As a 350-day, and, it, and it's based on agriculture. Yep. So unlike the last one, which was a solar calendar, this one uses agriculture. And again, area of the world kind of similar. You know, yeah, Egypt, Mesopotamia, yep. the Fertile Crescent, Tigris and Euphrates River Valley. Right. So not exactly Egypt, but in the same general area, I would say. Mm-hmm. So next, we go to the Roman Republic calendar. Now this one got its start in 713 BCE. So it followed Greek calendars in assuming a lunar cycle of 29 and a half days and a solar year of 12 and a half synodic months. So 368 and three quarter days, which align every fourth year after the addition of two interclary months. The additional two months of the year were January and February. The interclary month was sometimes known as Mercedonius. So now to step back, this isn't part of what I got here, but the Roman calendar started out as a 10 month calendar. Yes, and I found a, a reference that it actually had 304 days in the early form. Okay. And that they had ascribed New Year's Day to the spring equinox. Okay. Which, again, lunar calendar and dealing with agriculture. Right. Because we're, we're talking 700-some years BCE. Right. So, yes, Rome is a power, but it's not the military expansionist powerhouse that it is by the time Caesar comes around. Right. So I'm going to stop here for a second because we've been throwing around BCE and CE. Now, a lot of people will know that as BC and AD. Yes. So BCE is before Common Era. And CE is Common Era. Correct. So it kind of took the uh, religious connotations out of time telling. Right. BC before, before Christ. That, and... A.D., the Latin Anno Domini, translating as in the year of our Lord. Right. Which is why, if you look in the history books, if any of them still use B.C. and A.D., it's always like the movie title, 10,000 years B.C., mm -hmm. but A.D. was always A.D. and then the year, because you don't say 1920 in the year of our Lord. It's in the year of our Lord, 1920. Right, and to, to piggyback onto that, if you look at a lot of old manuscripts or old uh, court rulings they would actually write in the year of our lord mm -hmm. blah 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 so but yeah that's kind of gets away with it it makes it more secular and we're talking about calendars so i'm fine with that so the romans did not follow the usual greek practice in alternating 29 and 30 day months and a 29 or 30 day interclary month every other year instead their third fifth seventh and tenth months had 31 days each all the other months had 29 days except February, which had 28 days for three years and then 29 every fourth year. Which sounds very familiar. Yes. The total of these months over a four-year span differed from the Greeks by five days, meaning the Roman interclary month always had 27 days. Similarly, each 
Within each month, the weeks did not vary in the Greek fashion between seven and eight days. Instead, full months had two additional days in their first week, and the other three weeks of every month ran for eight days. So you had week one was ten days, and then you had three eight-day weeks. I didn't realize the ancient Romans were Beatles fans. <laughs> eight days a week. I like it. So now you mentioned that when they added the two months, they added January and February. Mm -hmm. Do you know where they get January from? Isn't that uh, something to Julius? Uh, Well, Julius Caesar was kind of involved with it, but the God that was being honored for January was Janus. Okay. Um, He's depicted as the two-faced God. Okay. And, um, He's the god of doorways for some reason, although I suppose it makes sense. Well, they had and a god for cho- everything. Yes, and choosing a path. But the reason that he was affiliated with January and why Julius Caesar moved New Year's Day from the spring equinox to January 1st was because one of Janus's attributes was he straddled the past and the future. Oh, okay. So he was able to look into the the old year and into the new year at the same time. So probably gives us the depiction of Father Time. Yes, to a certain extent. Well, at least the idea. Right. All right, so still more unusually, the interclary month was not placed at the end of the year, but within the month of February after the Terminella on the 23rd. The remaining days of February followed its completion. This seems to have arisen from Roman superstitions concerning the numbering and order of the months. The arrangement of the Roman calendar similarly seems to have arisen from Pythagorean superstitions concerning the luckiness of odd numbers. These Pythagorean-based changes to the Roman calendar were generally credited by the Romans to Numa Pompilius, mm-hmm. Romulus's successor and second of Rome's seven kings, and were the two new months of the calendar. Most sources thought that he had established intercalation with the rest of his calendar. Although Livy's Numa instituted a lunar calendar, the author claimed the king had instituted a 19-year system of intercalation equivalent to the metatonic cycle centuries before its development by Babylonian and Greek astronomers. Say what? (laughs) Did any of that make sense to you? To a certain extent. Basically, they're saying that Numa Pompilius, who came up in my research as well, figured out what some of the greatest mathematicians and astronomers of the ancient world came up with just before they did. Okay. So Plutarch's account claims that he ended the former chaos of the calendar by employing 12 months, totaling 354 days, the length of the lunar and Greek years, and biennial interclary months of 22 days. Plutarch believed Numa was responsible for placing January and February first in the calendar. Ovid states January began as the first month and February the last, with its present order, order owing to the Decemvirus. W. Ward Fowler believed the Roman priests continued to treat January and February as the last months of the calendar throughout the Republican period. So, we're starting to see the shape of what we would consider a normal calendar, barring a few differences. Right. You know, the interclary months, which in our calendar today don't exist. Correct. But it all brought these, all these all around to that, you know, it's not an exact science. They're not all 365 like ours are, but they're all within that ballpark so far. Yes. We've had a solar calendar, Mm -hmm. we've had an agricultural calendar, and we've had a lunar calendar. 
Now, the next one we're going to go to, I'm going to apologize in advance. I got some help from Scott, so hopefully I pronounce these things right. But uh, we're going to move over to the Americas. Okay. So the Tzolkin calendar, which is about the first millennium BCE, or pre-Columbian Maya. The 260-day calendar spread throughout the Mesoamerican culture region and is regarded as the oldest and most important of the calendar systems, with an origin predating its first appearances in Maya inscriptions. The earliest evidence of this calendar comes from a possible day sign with the dot numeral coefficient in an Olmec-like inscription in Oxtotitlan cave dated to 800 to 500 BCE. Some of the next oldest calendric inscriptions are from early strata of Zapotec in the Oaxacan highlands at sites such as Monte Alban, dating from mid-first millennium BCE. A few earlier dated inscriptions and artifacts have what appear to be calendric glyphs, such as at San Jose Mogote and in the Olmec Gulf Coast region. However, either the dating method or the calendric nature of the glyphs are disputed by scholars. The original purpose of such a calendar, with no obvious relationship to any astronomical or geophysical cycle, is not securely known. But there are several theories. One theory is that the calendar came from mathematical operations based on the numbers 13 and 20, which were important numbers to the Maya. The number 20 was the basis of the Maya counting system. Taken from the total number of human digits, 13 symbolizes the number of levels in the upper world where the gods lived, and is also cited by modern day keepers as the number of joints in the human body. Ankle, knees, hips, so shoulders, elbows, wrists, and neck. The number multiplied together equal 260. So Barbara Tedlock studied this system in the contemporary Kichi Maya community of the municipality of Mamo Stenago in Highland, Guatemala. Did I get it? Pretty much, yep. Okay, good. She underwent a formal apprenticeship in calendar divination with a local adept and was initiated as a diviner in 1976. She says the Momo Stecon calendar embraces both the 260-day cycle and the 365-day solar year with the four classic Maya year bearers, or MAM, systematically linking the two. The 260-day cycle is conceived as linked firmly to worldly or earthly affairs, mirroring no astronomical period, but rather the period of human gestation. Past ethnographic accounts of this cycle contain various conflicting opinions as to what is first day is, but a comparison of the present results and those of previous studies indicates that there is no fixed first day. So Anthony Avini asserts, once a Maya genius may have recognized that somewhere deep within the calendar system lay the miraculous union, the magical crossing point of the host of time cycles, nine moons, 13 times 20, a birth cycle, a planting cycle, a Venus cycle, a sun cycle, an eclipse cycle, the number 260 was tailor-made for the Maya. Others have observed that the Venus table in the Dresden Codex is an accurate ephemeris for predicting Venus positions. Others have also observed a basis for the 260-day cycle in the agricultural cycle of Highland Guatemala, which is also about 260 days. Avini notes that the average duration between successive halves of the eclipse season at 173 and a half days fits into the Zolkin in the ratio of 3 to 2. This may seem contrived, but the Maya did employ the Zolkin to predict positions of Venus and eclipses. 
Another theory is that the 260-day period is the length of human pregnancy. This is close to the average number of days between the first missed menstrual period and birth. Unlike Nagili's rule, which is 40 weeks, or 280 days, between the last menstrual period and birth, it is postulated that midwives originally developed the calendar to predict babies' expected birth dates. Vincent Malstrom identifies a correlation between the 260-day cycle and the 260-day gap between zenithal passages of the sun. According to this hypothesis, the 260-day cycle originated in the narrow latitude band, 14 degrees, 42 minutes north to 15 degrees north, in which the sun is vertically overhead about 12 to 13 August, and again 260 days later, about 30 April to 1 May. This period may have been used for the planting schedule, schedule of maize. However, others object to this conception, noting that while 260-day calendar runs continuously, the interval between autumn-spring and spring-autumn positions alternates between 260 and 105 days, and that the earliest known calendric inscriptions are from considerably further north of this zone. Consequently, the theory is not widely supported. It is also possible that the number 260 has multiple other sources. This one was really interesting to me. The fact that there's so many theories about it. And now the Mayans as a culture are gone, but they're not. Right. But kind of to me, it would be interesting to see what kind of a, what kind of a knowledge base is there among the Mayan that are still around. Now, this one woman that talked about it, obviously she went through training with somebody. So somebody has to have the knowledge. Yes. But she was in, I believe you said Guatemala. Yes. So... One thing about calendars that I find interesting that a lot has generated a lot of buzz lately is in Chichen Itza. Okay. In the Yucatan in Mexico. And it's the pyramid known as El Castillo, the castle. Okay. Because it has four sides. It's a traditional step pyramid. Each side has 90 stairs on it. Four times 90 is 360. Yeah. And then you... Add in the fact that there's four sides, so that's 364, and then you have the top of it where the sacrificial stone is, 365. 365. And the layout of the pyramid is such that on the spring and fall solstice days, the sun strikes the pyramid at such an angle that it casts what appears to be the shadow of a snake. So the, a representation of Quetzalcoatl, the feathered serpent. Uh-huh. And one of the days he's climbing the stairs, and the other day he's going down the stairs. And this happens at equinoxes? At the equinox. Okay. In uh, spring and fall. And so, just out of my curiosity, which one is he going up? Spring? Uh, spring he's going up, fall he's, he's going, going down. down. Okay, yep. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Let's move on. We're going we're gonna to move up a little bit here into the Iron Age. So the Continental Celtic Calendar. So we're going to the Iron Age and we're going back across the water to a small island. <laughs> the Gaulish Caligony Calendar is possibly the oldest Celtic solar lunar ritual calendar. It was discovered in Caligony, France, and is now on display in the Palais des Arts Gallo Roman Museum in Lyon. It dates from the end of the 2nd century AD. Our Roman Empire imposed the use of the Julian calendar in Roman Gaul. The calendar is made up of bronze fragments in a single huge plate, 
It is inscribed in Gaulish with Latin characters and uses Roman numerals. The Caligony calendar is an attempt to reconcile the cycles of the moon and sun, as is the modern Gregorian calendar. However, the Caligony calendar considers the phases of the moon to be important, and each month always begins with the same moon phase. The calendar uses a mathematical arrangement to keep a normal 12-month calendar in sync with the moon and keeps the whole system in sync by adding an interclary month every two and a half years. The Caligony calendar registers a five-year cycle of 62 lunar months, divided into a bright and a dark fortnight, or half a moon cycle each. The months were possibly taken to begin on the new moon, and then the 13th interclary month was added every two and a half years to align the lunations with the solar year. The astronomical format of the calendar year that the Caligony calendar represents may be far older as calendars are usually even more conservative than rites and cults. The date of its inception is unknown. But correspondences of insular Celtic and continental Celtic calendars suggest that some early form may be may date to proto-Celtic times, roughly 800 BC. The Caligony calendar achieves a complex synchronization of the solar and lunar months. Whether it does this for philosophical or practical reasons, it points to a considerable degree of sophistication. So now we're talking about something that is proven in the Iron Age, but it might go back much further. Yes. Now, it's interesting because it just it sounds like a very colluded calendar to try to keep track of. Yes. You know, and somebody had to do it because it lasted for a while. I mean, if it's if it truly started in 800 BC like they think it did, you know, up through what are we talking here? The Iron Age, so the 12th and 13th centuries. That's a long time. So let's move on. There's another one, medieval Irish and Welsh calendars, still in the Iron Age. So among the insular Celts, the year was divided into a half, light half and dark half, as the day was seen as beginning at sunset. So the year was seen as beginning uh, with the arrival of the darkness at Callan Gif Samain, so 1 November in the modern calendar. The light half of the year started at Kalen Hof Belton, so 1 May in the modern calendar. This observance of festivals beginning the evening before the festival day is still seen in the celebrations and folkloric practices among the Gaels, such as the traditions of Weish Shamna among the Irish and Waichi Shamna among the Scots. So Julius Caesar said in his Gaelic Wars, kept birthdays and the beginnings of months and years in such an order that the day follows the night. Longer periods were reckoned in the nights, as in the surviving English term fortnight, meaning two weeks, and the obsolete sen night, meaning one week. So the laws of Weltha, in addition surviving from the 12th and 13th century, make repeated references to periods of nine days, rather than the eight nights that make up the current word withnos. So... It's an interesting look at how a day would run. So your new day would start at sunset. Yes. So that would be, let's just, for ease of understanding, let's say Tuesday starts at sunset, and then it's Tuesday all through the night and all through the day, and then the next sunset, Wednesday would begin. That is correct. So it's completely opposite of the way that most people picture it. I mean, we always start at midnight. We begin and end at midnight. But when you think about it, you're like, day comes first, night comes second. Yes. So it's completely opposite of that. 
which is an interesting way to look at things. Let's jump one more time to a different part of the world. We're going to jump to Japan. So the Japanese calendar, this one starting about the 6th century. So we're moving up in time here. The lunisolar Chinese calendar was introduced to Japan via Korea in the middle of the 6th century. So, yep, you go from there to there. All right, I see. Mm -hmm. It can work. It can work. After that, Japan calculated its calendar using various Chinese calendar procedures. And from 1685, using Japanese variations of the Chinese procedures... But in 1873, as part of Japan's Meiji period modernization, a calendar based on the solar Gregorian calendar was introduced. In Japan today, the old Chinese calendar is virtually ignored. Celebrations of the Lunar New Year are thus limited to Chinese and other Asian immigrant communities. Japan has had more than one system for designating years, including the Chinese sexagenary cycle was early introduced into Japan. It was often used together with era names, as in the, the 1729 ice calendar, which is for the 14th year of Kyoho Suchi no to no Tori. I also don't speak Japanese. Now, though, the cycle is seldom used except around New Year. The era name system was also introduced from China and has been in continuous use since AD 701. Each emperor's reign begins a new era. Before 1868, era names were often also declared for other reasons. Nengo are the official meanings of dating years in Japan, and virtually all government business is conducted using that system. It is also in general use in private and personal business. The Japanese imperial year is based on the date of the legendary founding of Japan by Emperor Jimmu in 660 BC. It was first used in the official calendar in 1873. However, it never replaced era names, and since World War II has been abandoned. And then, finally, the Western Common Era, Anno Domini, system has gradually come into common use since the Meiji period. Now, most people know it as well as era names. So it sounds like there's a lot of confusion, if you're not from Japan, on exactly what day you're on. Yes. Or, or what year you're in, or what era you're in. So, we'll continue on. The official dating system known as Ningo has been in use since the late 7th century. Years are numbered within eras, which are named by the reigning emperor. Beginning with Meiji, 1868 to 1912, each reign has been one era. But many earlier emperors decreed a new era upon any major event. The last pre-Meiji emperor's reign, 1864 to 1867, was split into seven eras, one of which lasted only one year. The Nengo system remains in wide use, especially on official documents and government forms. The Imperial Year System, Koki, was used from 1872 to the Second World War. Imperial Year 1, so Koki 1, was the year when the legendary Emperor Jimmu founded Japan, 660 BC, according to the Gregorian calendar. Usage of Koki dating can be a nationalist signal, pointing out that the history of Japan's imperial family is longer than that of Christianity the basis of the AD system. Koki 2600, or 1940, was a special year. The 1940 Summer Olympics and Tokyo Expo were planned as anniversary events, but were canceled due to the Second Sino-Japanese War. The Japanese Naval Zero Fighter was named after this year. After the Second World War, the United States occupied Japan and stopped the use of the Koki by officials. Today, Koki is rarely used except in some judicial contexts. The 1898 law 
determining the placement of leap years is officially based on the Koki years, using a formula that is effectively equivalent to that of the Gregorian calendar. If the Koki year number is evenly divisible by 4, it is a leap year. Unless the number minus 660 is evenly divisible by 100 and not by 400. Thus, for an example, the year Koki 2560, so AD 1900, is divisible by 4. But 2560 minus 660 is 1900, which is evenly divisible by 100 and not by 400. So Koki 2560 was not a leap year just as in most of the rest of the world. Does that make sense? No. Okay, good. I thought I was the only one. Now, I'm sure there's a cultural difference uh, between the way we look at things. You know, they're saying that Japan has been around longer than Christianity, whatever. But this this mathematical, you know, equation you have to go through to find out whether or not it's a leap year seems a little intense. Well, we have something similar in the Gregorian calendar. Okay. Because it's supposed to be now, <clears throat> excuse me, in the year 2000, I don't think we followed it, but it's supposed to be every four years is a leap year, mm-hmm. unless it's the century. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I guess we'd have to look back and see if... 1900 two- had a leap year or not. Well, 2000 as well. Right. 2000 did, and a lot of people were complaining that 2000 wasn't supposed to have a leap year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So we broke our own rules. Yep. Well, look at us. All right, so those are the serious calendars I came across and thought were interesting and something we could talk about. Now, the next one I think you're going to get a kick out of just because of what it is. Okay. Have you heard of the Dream Spell calendar? I have not. Okay. So the Dream Spell is an esoteric calendar in part inspired by the Maya calendar by New Age spiritualist, Mayanist philosopher, and author Jose Arguelles, initiated in 1987 and released as a board game in 1992. Board game. You know, they put that in here, and then they never talk about it again. <laughs> so, That's a missed opportunity. I I know, and I wish I had a little more time or I had started earlier. I could have went out and looked for the Dream Spell board game, but... It only gets weirder from there. Okay. So this is loosely based on the 365-day solar calendar called the Hab, but most importantly focused on the 260-day sacred calendar called the Zulkin, which we talked about earlier. Yep. Which Argules claims to be based on a fourth-dimensional pattern called the Galactic Spin. Argulius uh, interprets the calendar as part of what he calls a radiogenetic game board that relates to both the I Ching the 64-unit DNA code, and many other divinatory systems, including the cosmology of Ibn al-Arabi of the 28 lunar mansions and the 22 major arcana of the tarot. Okay, so he's really casting a wide net here. He is. He's grabbing at any little string he can find. So the number 13 in the Dreamspell calendar appears both as the galactic tone of the daily galactic signature, as well as the 13 moons of 28 days each are the months of the calendar. The 13 moons are named after the 13 galactic tones. The names of the 13 galactic tones are magnetic, lunar, electric, self-existing, overtone, rhythmic, resonant, galactic, solar, spectral, planetary, crystal, and cosmic. 
Oh my. The names of the 20 solar seals used to name the days are Red Dragon, White Wind, Blue Knight, Yellow Seed, Red Serpent, White World Bridger, Blue Hand, Yellow Star, Red Moon, White Dog, Blue Monkey, Yellow Human, Red Skywalker, White Wizard, Blue Eagle, Yellow Warrior, Red Earth, White Mirror, Blue Storm, and Yellow Sun. I'm sensing this guy was a Star Wars fan. Something. I mean, Red Skywalker. Yeah. In the original episode four, A New Hope, Luke Skywalker, Red Five. Yep. So these 20 solar seals are continually repeated in a 20-day cycle. The 20-day cycle repeats 13 times, which equals 260 days, or one Zolkin, or galactic spin, as it is called in the dream spell. Journey of Timeship Earth 2013. According to Arguels, two of the main purposes of the calendars are to synchronize human beings with our galactic roots by turning <coughs> us into the spiritual energy from Hanabku, a being Arguelles asserts is the governing deity of the Milky Way galaxy. And two, to convert humanity from thinking that time is money to thinking that time is art and thus give human beings more scope for their creativity. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And this was just, this is just stuff I handpicked out. There was stuff that was weirder, and there was stuff that was more normal, but this is messed up. Yes, it is. And I had to throw one of those in there, because as you break about 1940 or so, there's a whole lot of these, either suggestions on ways to make new calendars, where, you know, it's, uh, I think one of them was 12 equal months of 29 days and then every four years at the end of december you'd add another seven day week i mean just strange things and maybe it's because we grew up with the calendar we're used to but i look at all these and i go it seems overly difficult and overly hard to figure out it's like you know but now let's let's go into the big ones the ones you want to talk about okay so the ones i focused more on are more contemporary and culturally based. All right. So um, the first one I looked at is, as I've mentioned to you on occasion, um, my maternal grandfather was Jewish. Right. So I looked at the Hebrew calendar. All right. Like a lot of these other ones we've looked at, it's what they classify as a lunisolar calendar. Okay. So based largely on the phases of the moon. And it... I found that it adds a month every two to three years to sync it back up with the Gregorian calendar. Okay. So the, I think largely because of globalization and having to interact with the non-Jewish world, so they, they kind of a... adopted and adapted what the rest of the world is using. So they added an intercalary month right. every four years? Two to three years. Two to three years, okay. Okay. And one thing I found interesting was, and I kind of looked at this from the New Year's Day perspective, okay. which was how I approached it. And the Jewish New Year, which is called Rosh Hashanah, usually falls in late September or early October. Okay. So looking back culturally to the agricultural calendars, it would seem to fall along the lines of harvest time. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. And... Rosh Hashanah starts what's known as the Days of Awe holiday, which is 10 days. It ends with Yom Kippur. 
thought that was kind of interesting. And then usually Rosh Hashanah is more serious, and then Yom Kippur is a bit more celebratory. Okay. But they have, as I said, they go by the phases of the moon, and they have the different names in Hebrew for the different months. Next, I went to the Muslim calendar. Okay, before that, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Do you know what the current Hebrew year is? I do not. I didn't grab that one. I think it's like 4,600 something. No, it's 5778. Okay. And I, I only know that because when we started doing the research, I have a friend who's Jewish, and I said, what year is it? And he said, it's 2017. I said, no, in the Hebrew calendar. And he goes, oh, and he, and he <laughs> gave me the date. And uh, so I thought it was, I, I just was curious if you had uh, checked that out at all. Okay. No. But as I mentioned earlier, the Hebrew day starts at sunset. Okay. So now next I went to the Muslim calendar, which is called the Hijri. Okay. It's a lunar calendar, 12 months, but it only has, it alternates between 354 and 355 days. Okay. So every so often they tweak it a To match up again with what's... Globally the, used. Yes. Okay. And their new year, kind of like the the Hebrew New Year, starts usually around the fall equinox. For example, this year, New Year's Day was September 21st, which is actually the fall equinox. Okay. And it will end on September 10th, 2018. So they're okay. short by about 11 days. Another thing I thought was interesting, they set their um, calendar start according to when Muhammad received the Quran. Okay. And they call it Anno Hijri. They borrow the Anno from Anno Domini. So their designation is AH, and the current year is 1439. That one I looked up. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask you that one. I didn't know that one. Yep. I, I originally got interested in learning more about the Muslim calendar because I have some Muslim students, and I actually had to adjust play rehearsal schedule okay. one summer because of Ramadan. Oh, okay. And uh, for those of you uh, unfamiliar, Ramadan is the month of feasting, or fasting, rather. And so from sunrise to sunset, they don't eat anything, they don't drink anything, and they abstain from a, a whole lot of things to help purify the body. And so I had some students who were following Ramadan, and so I had to adjust rehearsal schedules because by late afternoon, they were so tired, they couldn't concentrate. I can see that. If you don't eat, you're going to get tired. Yes. So now, next I went to the Chinese calendar. We talked a little bit about how the Japanese calendar had incorporated elements of the Chinese. Correct. And the... Earliest record I found of the Chinese calendar was on bones from the Shang dynasty back in the 14th century BC. Now, we kind of talked about this with the Japanese calendar, but the observance of the Chinese calendar is fading as well. Globalization, internet, right. all of that. Uh, so much so that Chinese New Year is almost going away. Even in mainland China, they're starting to refer to it as the Spring Festival. So, okay. But it occurs. It follow they follow a lunar calendar 
which has each month beginning on the new moon. Okay, so that was so. similar to one of the other ones we looked at. Yep. So, okay. All right. And then uh, one that I think is of particular importance to us here in the Midwest, uh, especially in the last 40 years or so, is the Hmong calendar. Oh, yes. Now, how would you like to go back in time simply by driving 30 miles? Okay, that you're going to have to explain to me. <laughs> Sometimes I'd like to go back in time, but most of the time I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. Yes. One thing I found out, and a lot of the, the other stuff I've been saying I, I've found through research, reading articles and stuff, but as some of you know, because I've mentioned it, I'm a high school teacher, and I have a few fellow teachers who are Hmong, some of whom were born over in Asia and some of whom were born here in the U.S. And so I talked to them, and it was very interesting because I found out that the calendar observation actually varies by family. Oh, okay. So it, it's not even that it's not the Gregorian traditional Western calendar. They, they don't even have a single set calendar among themselves. So and it's in like some a, cases... Now, when you say family, is that tribal family? Yeah, the clan, yes. The clan, okay. Mm -hmm. But... Even different sections of the same clan, depending on where they settle, they'll change it. For example, between Stevens Point and Wausau, New Year's can shift from early September to early November. Really? Yes. And if you go over to Minnesota, it shifts to early December. Okay. So is there an agreed-upon year? Of what year it is in the moon calendar? Kind of. Okay. And the reason it's only kind of is because up until the Vietnam War, they were an oral tradition society. So they would usually reckon as years from certain events happened. And I have one of my friends who's a fellow teacher. When he came to the U.S. as a small boy, his family had to stop and try to figure out what his actual birthday and birth year was when they got to the U.S. so they could get his birth certificate made. Oh, okay. And he was talking to his wife a little while ago, and his wife was talking to his mother, and they said, yeah, I think we're off by a couple of years. <laughs> so I was like, that's okay. But it's very... I found out a, an awful lot about their observation of the calendar and what they do with it. And even... The younger generation, like teenagers and early 20s that were born here in America, mm -hmm. they still observe a lot of the traditional calendar-based ceremonies, okay. which, which I thought was interesting. And they, they differ clan to clan, and there are even some of the clans that, because of events centuries ago that everybody still remembers, different parts of the same clan will observe a ceremony differently. Are we going to, in your opinion, are we going to see a loss of that as the generations become deeper and deeper Americanized, do you think? It's happened with pretty much every other culture, mm -hmm. so the evidence of history would seem to suggest that yes. But they seem to have a very strong tie to family over and, a lot of other cultures. And part of that is also because I think the other cultures that came to America were told that this is the melting pot. You Americanize, you acclimatize. 
Whereas coming over in the 1970s and 80s, they came over in entire clan groups. Right. So they brought all of their traditions with them. So, so they, they may survive. I'm guessing it's going to happen, but probably at a much slower pace than, you know, the Italians or the Germans or the, the Irish. Yep. Yeah, exactly. My next ones are kind of along the lines of your Dreamkeeper one. Okay, we're going to have some more fun. They're a little goofy. All right. All right. So the first one is from 1849, All right. France. So we have Auguste Comte, who created what he called the Positivist Calendar. Okay. He reorganized the months and renamed them. He thought that the names were too generic or too old-fashioned, that they they venerated out-of-touch deities. Okay. And so he renamed them after the people he considered to be the great men of history. So we had the month of Moses, the month of Homer, the month of Aristotle. Okay. And so on. I see where he's going. For some reason, it didn't take off. Who knows? I know. Also in France, around this time, well, the time of the French Revolution. Okay. And uh, the revolutionaries decreed that the first year of the revolution was year one. Like any good regime, the start of the regime is the start of the calendar. Correct. But they wanted to be a little more systematic, so they said the week is ten days long. Okay. Oddly enough, that one lasted more than a decade. The only reason it got overthrown was Napoleon crowned himself emperor. Okay. He decided to put his own stamp on things. Well, you know, the 10-day week isn't completely out of nowhere. We're gamers. Right. And in most settings within a role-playing game, at least in the D&D worlds, you have a 10-day week. Right. So whether it's, you know, something somebody read something or whatever, but it's not a completely foreign concept to me anyway. I, I don't know. A 10-day week? I don't know. You know, does that mean we have to work eight and only get two off instead of work ten and get four off? I, I don't know. You know? Yeah, it would depend. So I, I didn't find a whole lot of details about it. Okay. But then the last one I've got comes to us courtesy, delivered, you might say, by British Railway. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. They decided that the trains needed to run on their own calendar? Well, basically, there was a bookkeeper for British Railway named Moses B. Cotsworth. I and, love that name. Yes. And he decided that the Gregorian calendar just wasn't efficient enough. Okay. And so he devised a 13-month calendar. It was 28 days, 4 weeks, 13 months. Everything was precise. Okay. And one of the nice things about that was it meant that every month, the first is Sunday, second is Monday, etc. And every month would have a Friday the 13th. So apparently he wasn't all that superstitious. Must not have been. Yeah. Which is fine by me. I love, well, my birthday is the 13th, so I love the 13th. Didn't you just have a Friday the 13th birthday this year? Yes, I did. I thought so. Mm -hmm. He kept the month names the same, but to make up time he put an extra 28 day month between june and july to be that 13th month okay he called it sol s-o-l as in the sun the sun yeah makes sense middle of summer and so the leap day or every four years sol would have a 29th day okay however it wouldn't be it wouldn't 
change the following month and goof things up. It would just be, you'd have your seven days, and then there was that extra day every four years. Which didn't even have a name. Correct. So it, was, it was leap day. It was That's leap what it was day. Called. Okay. Yeah. 13 months times 28 days is 364. Okay. For a standard 365-day year, we need one more day. Yep. And so he called it leap day, or year day, which was a holiday following December 28th. So okay. every year would have, you'd go December 1st to 28th, end of the month, end of the year, and then there's year day. Woo! So it was a floating day, and he envisioned it as a global holiday. Oh, so everybody was going to adopt his calendar. Yep. Okay. So because it's efficient. I mean, it's the railway. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. So, you know, we talked about a lot of calendars here, but of all of them I looked at, and I looked at a lot more than what we talked about, obviously, I got to say the Gregorian calendar that we use today seems to be the most efficient and maybe, like I said earlier, maybe it's because that's the way we were raised and that's what we know. But did you ever, did you see any of them that were really, that you looked at and went, you know, this might be better? Did you find any of those? No, not really. The The Cotsworth calendar I, I thought was an interesting exercise. Yeah. But I don't really think people would adopt it, apart from the fact that you get Friday the 13th every month. <laughs> moving it to 13 months, I think there's enough people out there who are paranoid about the number 13 that yeah, it wouldn't work. All right, so I think at that point we can kind of wrap this one up. Let's do a little bit of announcements here. So next month, so January, on January, I believe it is the 7th at noon or is it 11 a.m.? I don't remember. It's either 11 a.m. or noon. We'll be at Evercon doing a live podcast. We are going to talk about geek love. <laughs> you know, with February being the uh, month that we're recording for and February being the month of Valentine's. It's just a little something we're going to try to do. But if you're interested in seeing us live and hearing all the mistakes that you never hear when, when you get our podcast, it's really simple to do. Come in. Enjoy Evercon, too. I mean, it's a weekend full of gaming and uh, special guests and art and all these different things. It's a really affordable weekend. I think it's $40 this year. Yep. It's just come in. Our podcast to come see us is free, though, so that's always nice. But, yeah, we look forward to seeing you there. And with that, if you want to drop us a line about this episode or any other episode, you can do that real easily. You can find us at want to hear something interesting at gmail.com. Drop us a line. We'll get back to you. Also, we are on Facebook at POI Network, or if you want to go directly to us at Want to Hear Something Interesting. Either way, drop us a line. It'll get to us. We'll get back to you. Other than that, uh, any parting words of wisdom? Stay warm. (laughs) Very important in this upcoming weekend. So with that, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next month. And next year. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.